Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? You know what? Maybe let me go back and revisit it and I'll get that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Fantastic. To listen to this show, find us on 4 and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. This is one of our special revisited episodes, as you heard Doug kind of allude to uh, just now. (laughs) It's an episode (laughs) where we – one of our special episodes where we return to an episode that we have previously covered, but we do it with a guest. This time, we are revisiting Spider-Man the Animated Series, Season 2, Episode 3, entitled Hydro-Man, which we previously talked about on our episode number 23. As for our guest – Very special guest, I would say, because the guest is the writer of this episode that we're talking about, as well as numerous other episodes of Spider-Man the Animated Series, along with Green Lantern the Animated Series, a bunch of versions of Scooby-Doo, a bunch of animated DC movies, and much, much, much more. Welcome, Jim Krieg. It's nice to be here. I had no idea you already covered Hydro-Man. Now I feel kind of bad for the audience. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I probably should have listened to it. Maybe I would have not. I would. I would have not have agreed to come on the show if you, after <laughs> hearing you skewering my, the first thing I ever professionally wrote. <laughs> no, it's funny you say that because this is one of our favorite episodes that we've covered of any series so far. So we're thrilled to talk about it again and thrilled to get get some uh, insight from you. Actually, <laughs> well, I can only assume you're lying, but I appreciate you doing so. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, no, legit. This episode actually rules, which I know is, is probably surprising people because most people don't care about Hydro Man, the character, I feel like. But it really was surprisingly like a fantastic episode. And we'll we'll get into that. And maybe you'll disagree with us. I don't know. I'm excited for that. If we're going to spend an hour talking about how great this is, I'm all in. So. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back. You guys start first. Tell me the first thing you love about it. <laughs> well, actually, that now I'm, I'm very curious. This is the question that we ask pretty much every guest right off the bat whenever we have on anyway. And it's going to be particularly unique for you since you wrote this episode. When's the last time you watched this episode or Spider-Man the animated series in general? Well, Derek, if this is Derek, um, (laughs) uh, because I am such a professional, I watched it uh, 20 minutes ago. (laughs) I I wanted to refresh myself and it's on Disney, Disney plus now. And so uh, it's easy to do. And, um, you know, it's, it's just like anything. It's like, imagine 
revisiting your 12th grade biology paper. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, well, that, that yes, mitochondria, yes, I like that. Oh, this is, this is not a full sentence here. You know, it, it, there's a, it's a mixed bag of things you love and things you think, oh, I've learned a lot since then. Oh, I feel that. I feel that. I, I hate revisiting anything that I've ever created as soon as I'm <laughs> done with it. So I get that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, Jamie, I have tremendous nostalgia. And then I went, I went up in the attic and I tried to, uh, I, I dug up some, some, I, I, the, some versions of the scripts printed out with John's notes on them. Oh, nice. And I was looking for um, the uh, BSNP notes, the standards and practices notes, because I it was the first time I'd ever gotten those, and it was you know it was fantastic and horrifying and <laughs> enraging, you know everything it's supposed to be. <laughs> but and I, I will tell you, I'll, I'll skip ahead in case we forget to do it. The the note I remember getting, which I, I couldn't find, I think I uh, pulled it out a while ago for some reason, but um, uh, it was let's see, one was okay. Originally, Spider Man in the aquarium falls into a tank of sharks and, and his web wouldn't work underwater. So I had him punch the shark and, uh, the, <laughs> and the note we got from the network was Spider-Man does not hurt animals. <laughs> and it was like, Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Oh, and then, uh, and then later he was Hydro-Man blasts him from one rooftop to another and he, and he lands in a pigeon coop. And the pigeons go flying, and, and the, the Kate Beck was like, "Again, make it clear that the pigeons have left the coop before Spider-Man lands on it." So, <laughs> That's so funny. those are those are two of the biggies I remember. That That's actually so explains funny. a detail from the episode, like that that ended up in the episode with the eels, because you know the the web cartridge explodes, and then you never really see the eels again. And we were sort of like, "What happened to the eels?" But That's if you exactly don't show what, what happened, sunset. you're probably fine. <laughs> it was like, so he's like, well, so what did, did the webs, did it poison them? I don't you know what happened. <laughs> and I think the idea was that like it made a smoke screen for him to escape, I think. Uh, but I have to say, I got to hand it to the, the animation team. It's really, that's a pretty episode. I mean, yeah. um, you know, some of these sections are, there's a lot of detail in when he, when he swings outside the aquarium, he lands in a puddle. There are all these moments of water that keep coming up. He, uh, uh, they spill the drink in the booth at the coffee bean. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's it, there's some real attention to detail in this one. Yeah, I that's that's something that we we noted uh, a lot when we were when we did it originally is that it's just like you know this this show like any cartoon from the '90s especially I think was pretty. It was hit or miss with with the animation often, and this one is just like so solid across the board. Like it's one of the best looking ones of the series, I think, just in in its entirety. It's great. I I couldn't agree more, and and I mean so much so that uh, that Hydro Man ends up in the in the opening credits, which was yeah. you know. A, and so you saw him in that clip months before he shows up in the episode, which was mm -hmm. of course thrilling to me. By the yeah. way, just in in a in a total random uh, uh, cosmic lattice of coincidence, the, the day we're recording this, which I think it's okay to say it's March 11th, is uh, Rob Paulson's birthday, who is the voice of Hydro Man, as well as you will, would know him as Pinky from Pinky and the Brain and, and uh, some Ninja Turtles and a million other things. He's a super yeah, talented wow. guy. I mean, what a, what a break for me to get a talent like that in my, my first, uh, first TV credit. Yeah. Well, if 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 you happen to be listening to this, Rob Paulson, happy belated <laughs> birthday. <laughs>
Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and yes, he is so. I mean, he is. He's like a. He's like a legendary. He's done so much stuff. So it's. He's great in this episode. Okay, since, just since we brought up the animation, this is something that I was particularly curious about, and I don't know if you would necessarily have any insight on it since it is an animation side. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know if there are particular inspirations for how Hydro Man would look and move? And I'm mostly asking because I feel like there's a lot of inspiration drawn from, like, Terminator 2, like the T-1000. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I felt the same thing. and I mean, even down to, you know, the how... I, I can't, I never, I don't remember talking to the board guys about this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but you just look at it and it, and some of the moments are exactly ripped from, uh, from T2, uh, um, especially how he reforms after breaking down and coming together again. And it's funny because since it's animated, you know, every time he does that in, in the, the 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 T1000 does it in in the movie you you kind of feel the money like okay they're making an effort <laughs> to do this but in animation he you know he reforms you know a dozen times in this in this show because it, it doesn't cost any more than having uh, Mary Jane get in the taxi cab uh, yeah. it's you know it's the same but uh, yeah so I I do certainly see that there I do remember and I may be wrong about this but we we weren't supposed to use Sandman. Because because uh, at the t- time James Cameron coincidentally uh, was planning on making a Spider-Man movie and Sandman with and a Sandman I think and Electro were going to be in it so we had to stay away from those characters until that project didn't move ahead and then I think we used Electro uh, later mm-hmm. but um, but yeah so we so John said well well let's just use Hydro Man instead of Stan- Sandman and uh, and then he you know he had uh, all of this came from John Semper. Uh, producer and story editor and uh, my personal friend and person who I owe my career to. Uh, if I do have a hidden agenda, uh, it's basically to uh, shout out to John. What a fantastic mentor he's been on this uh, throughout my career, but especially starting my career. And and looking back at these first drafts of the script, I can't imagine why he let me in. <laughs> What a terrible mistake, John. (laughs) Well, I guess sort of piggybacking off of that a little bit, like how did you come to write this particular episode? Like how was this your thing to write? Was it a pitch that you had? Was it an idea? No, no, not at all. No, not at all. um, uh, You know, the secret uh, um, of uh, being a professional TV writer is that you come up with all these uh, original ideas so that you can get into – get in the door and then write whatever your showrunner tells you to write. <laughs> it's, it's kind of con, count, counterintuitive. Uh, but no, uh, uh, what happened was um, a classmate of mine from NYU film school. I had come out here to go to graduate school at the American Film Institute. And my student film, which is Viva Spider-Man, which is, I think should interest you because it is a, an homage to the uh, the 1967, I guess the 1968, the second season of um, of Spider-Man that Ralph Bakshi did, and I did it as a live action student film at NYU, and and that kind of it made the rounds, and and I think one of my classmates got it to Sydney Iwander at Fox Kids, and and he had a meeting with me and was very very kind to me and, and passed the, uh, movie, uh, and a recommendation on to, to John Semper, who was, who was doing the first season of the, of the series at the time. And I think it's probably 
93 or maybe uh, early 94. And, and I met him and, and inexplicably, we, he had me start working on this. He had the, he had, I think, I think he had most of it done in his head anyway. <laughs> he certainly knew he wanted to do um, a stalking episode, which was, you know, is the theme of the episode and, and was sort of in the newspapers at the time. Uh, very, you know, kind of of the moment issue of it, you know, mm, uh, and, right. and uh, one of the very first notes we got back from, from BSNP is the stalking is not acceptable, you know, because this is a Saturday morning cartoon. And sure. It's like a dicey yeah. subject. And we were both outraged, of course, as you're supposed to be when you get pushback from the network. And, uh, and we just came back with, but Spider-Man is against stalking, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. he's taking a contrary position. So uh, anyway, we kind of, we took out like the direct mentions of the word stalking out of it. And, you know, I, and, and it, I think it turned out well. It comes through for sure. That That's one of the things, you know, we said at the top of this, this is one of our favorite episodes we've covered. And a big part of it is the way that the subject matter is handled. And, and we were really sort of blown away because it's not what you expect walking into a show like this, you know? Well, thank you for saying so. Although watching it again this morning, it occurred to me that uh, once he knows that Mary Jane's in trouble, Spider-Man kind of stalks her. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Which, is, which yeah. is exactly how um, the, the second Andrew Garfield movie starts with with uh, uh, with Spider-Man stalking Gwen <laughs> Stacy. And it's like, well, I guess there's this, uh, you know, it's a... It's hard to get around. Yeah, <laughs> you know? but to this point, you know, Peter, the '90s Peter Parker is interesting based on whatever episode you're particularly watching, right? Um, and in this one, I think there's sort of a, an arc there where, like, he he does that, and then Mary Jane sort of chastises him, and I think that's one of the things that we really appreciated is that he kind of heard that. Um, yeah, and his demeanor changes after she says, "Like, hey, buddy, cut it out." <laughs> well, he's also such a d bag at the beginning. He's like, <laughs> "Why are you going out with me?" You know, which is yep. basically, you know, what every nerd has ever said to the object of their affection, you know? <laughs> even if it was only in their own head. And at the end, he's he's his attitude is much more. Well, I totally see why he wouldn't go out with me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've we've definitely we've definitely uh, called out when this version of Peter Parker is uh, an entitled jerk um, (laughs) in the past. So (laughs) it makes sense. Yeah. But it's it definitely it comes across a lot better in this episode than it does some other ones. One hundred. Well, that's good. I mean, it it is. I mean, I guess there's an element of it. It's a very special episode. And uh, and hopefully it isn't too heavy handed. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so at all. I mean, that's that's the thing that I think, like like Doug, Doug was saying, that I think we appreciate it. That I think was so surprising is that yeah, you don't you don't hear the word stalking, and there isn't like a a big moral speech at the end of it about it either. But I think like the lessons still come through. You still have Mary Jane telling her ex like like you don't force yourself on someone you love. Like that is a very important lesson for people of all ages, including kids, to hear. When you were writing it, did you feel like the subject matter, like, I mean, I guess you knew that this was sort of in the papers, right? Like, did you feel like you were writing something with, with so much gravity? I guess, like, we felt like it was very, we, it definitely felt like a significant story with a lot of gravity to it on our end. Like, was that something that was kind of going through your head or anything? I think I approached it with a certain amount of trepidation because I was afraid of it coming off like a very special episode, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you see the, you know, when they, when they try to do those, those special episodes on different strokes or something, you just kind of like cringe. It's it's like, yeah. oh boy, this is not the place to do this. 
so uh, um, but I think there was an uh, unlike how it's often covered in sitcoms, I think that there's enough action and adventure in the episode to belay that, to, to mitigate it, you know, so that it isn't so preachy and yeah. uh, uh, it keeps it moving. Well, the, the, the theme is kind of percolating underneath all the time, but it isn't it isn't the A story. It's the it's the theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think even a kid watching it would still walk away with the right feelings about the right characters, right? Like there's never really a point where Maury is made sympathetic, even though he's trying. So I don't think it ends up coming across heavy handed, but I think all the emotions you're supposed to have hit the right way. And I think that's what makes it feel like, uh, you know, not as much like a very special episode. (laughs) Yeah, well, he couldn't be. He couldn't be sympathetic because we were going to evaporate him at the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, well, oh, did you notice it, it stuck out like a sore thumb now? It's like he couldn't say she Mary Jane says, is he is he and she's like, dead? Is he dead? <laughs> and, and, and Saturday morning, I just think we could not actually say the word dead because yeah. evidently mm-hmm. children don't know that death exists. And you you find out when you're 12, they send you an envelope in the in the mail <laughs> and you get the <laughs> which is extra wild since they you will still see people dying on screen in these shows often or implied to be dead <laughs> yeah. because you don't say the word death that means that it doesn't exist yeah. exactly exactly yeah. there's such a tap dance getting around like how many punches <laughs> we could do and they couldn't fall through glass uh, like well, i don't know what year these take place because the the police are all, always pulling out these giant laser guns because uh-huh. we couldn't show firearms we were so jealous of uh Bruce Tim and the uh, uh, Batman, the animated series, because they were constantly getting thrown through plate glass windows and shooting Tommy guns on each other. And we were like, why can't we do that? <laughs> and they said, well, that's it's it's artistic. And there's, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I see. Well, OK, <laughs> whatever. What is that like working on a show with those types of restrictions? Like you were saying you were looking through your notes and some of them even now are sort of like, what? What is that like? You know, I think that's. It's kind of just de rigueur. I, I think that uh, in some ways, the limitations make you work around the um, the rules so that you have to do a little bit better storytelling. I, I actually, it's funny. I think when I started, I, I felt hamstrung by mm-hmm. all of these rules. And now when you have a specific box to work inside, then you you know what you have to work around and it, it it's a challenge but it makes you think a little harder so yeah. it, it doesn't yeah. bother me as much now i mean it, it becomes a little obvious when you look back on it now but uh <laughs> but i i think that's good it's uh i i think it's it's helpful at the very least it seems like a really good exercise for somebody early in their career to have to do that <laughs> i think and you end up doing it throughout your entire career it's yeah. it's uh, uh, i was just talking my my friend jeremy that Jeremy Adams, who is a, a now very successful writer, um, every time you hand in something, you think, well, maybe this is the time that <laughs> I won't get notes. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe this, this day, because this is, I, I feel pretty good about this. Every, every time you crack open the, the final draft to start a script, you go through this, like daily, this oh, horrible experience of, of starting out and saying, oh, that's right. This is, I don't have any ideas. This is the day everyone discovers that I'm a complete fraud uh. <laughs> and, uh, and that I ha- I, I'm, I'm not good at this at all. But I've already been paid for my commencement, so I have to hand something in 
to get my, <laughs> the other half of my check. So you yeah. force yourself to write for, for another hour and a half. And then by that time you go, this is so good. I cannot believe they don't pay me as much as George Lucas because I'm <laughs> such a genius. Yeah. You know? and, and neither of these things is true. <laughs> you know, the truth is somewhere where in between, but so you're always thinking, well, maybe I won't get notes this time. And it never happened until a couple of years ago where Jeremy, the uh, writer I mentioned before, he and I got an op- opportunity to um, write an episode of uh, uh, Supernatural that mm-hmm. the uh, the Winchester boys are sucked into the, a television set and are in a Scooby-Doo cartoon and uh, and they're actually animated we pitched this and thought, well, they're never going to go for it. And they, they, <laughs> they kept saying yes. And, and we, every, every single time we handed something in, we thought, no, this is, they're going to say no, it's going to be yes until they say no. And, uh, and then finally we had this unusual notes session with the CW executives or, the, you know, the notes would be like, well, you know, on page, on page 13, Fred says this, this line here. And we go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like ready for the, what they were going to say. It's really funny. <laughs> you know, we're, we're like looking at each other like, okay, when is the, when is this going to, when are they going to be mean? When did the, when did the mean notes start? And, but anyway, that was our one time. That was the one time that, that happened, that worked in our favor. But otherwise you just kind of have to get used to putting your stuff out there and having, you know, people pick it apart. And, and in some ways, maybe, maybe that's better. Uh, I think that you could make the argument that the, first three star Wars movies are better because he had to fight for the things he wanted. And, and then in the next three, he got to do whatever he wanted and nobody said, boo, nobody, mm-hmm. no, when nobody says yeah. I am, this could be a little better to, because yeah. the guy's a billionaire. So what, what can you say to him? Sure. Um, fortunately I'm in the, the enviable position of, um, still being poor and not famous. Um, <laughs> well, in terms of like on, on that topic, one of the things that I think both of us noticed when we were watching the episode that we were curious if it was like a like a last minute rewrite or edit or something is that like I don't know if you noticed this on your watch, but there's the there's the bit kind of towards the end where Maury has his little like dream sequence rant where he's going to flood the whole city. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, I'll make everyone run, which is like, no, you're not. You're going to kill <laughs> everyone, but all right. Run. Yeah. There are 11 million people in New York and they're all going to escape <laughs> miraculously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think he's like, like, no, they will die. They will yeah. die. All for you. Right. Boy, there's nothing, nothing wins a woman over than a high death count. <laughs> yeah, of course. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's interesting. Cause then right after that, it just cuts to him throwing treasure chests around yeah which he's ragey i guess it makes sense but i was curious like i feel like something is missed something missed something here <laughs> i you know I, I was watching it with my son and his friend and, and they they actually asked that it's like are they is he throwing them at her and, and i thought no i think he's just he's having a, a tantrum um and i don't know if there's some missing shots there and i didn't i didn't reread the script uh, although i have it i have i have the second draft right here so let me oh. see what's there you can you can cut out the part where i'm flipping oh no here it is <laughs> <laughs> by the way i don't know if you knew this but they never say it but it's a recycling plant at the end where she oh. lures him in we I actually just saw did that. wonder yeah. that we were like is yeah. this water treatment is this like what is this place but okay that actually was a a thing we wondered. I don't know if we were going to ask, but we were wondering. <laughs> Explains all the paper. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know what? I don't think that's in here. I don't think that's in the second draft. I have to go through the other drafts. 
Yeah, because um, I think we were wondering, like, was there some sort of behavior that he was exhibiting toward Mary Jane that was, like, too much that needed to be tweaked? Or was it more of a furthering of his sort of <laughs> weird flooding well, fantasy? Well, yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's all creepy. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. he's too close to her. It's all, like, gives you the, makes your skin crawl. But it's, yeah. it's supposed to do that. Yeah, um, so that's good. But no, I no, I can't find it. And yeah, so that was that was recycling. That was in like the first twenty minutes of people recycling anything in America. You know? <laughs> so it probably needed some kind of shout out, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So and the other thing is, uh, and uh, is that it's supposed to be the, a heat wave in Manhattan, and and uh-huh. and the guards in the in the aquarium mention it at the beginning, but because all the characters are on model. Uh, Mary Jane is wearing a, a sweater and jeans tucked into <laughs> right. cowboy boots and and Peter has his shirt on. So like they probably, you know, if it, if it, they should all be in sh- shorts and tank tops or something. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but but it's supposed to be really hot. And so she lures him into the hot, you know, uh, recycling plant and then onto the roof and then, you know, into the sun. And he finally evaporates tragically. Yeah. That's a really cool thing about this episode we like, too, which is that Mary Jane, as a victim of stalking, is also given tons of agency. Like, she is a major, if not the major, contributing factor to, like, defeating the main episode villain, which is very, very cool. And I don't know that she got a whole lot of exploration prior to this episode. In fact, I don't think she interacted with Spider-Man at all. So- no, no, that I, was re- I felt really fortunate that I got to introduce... Spidey and and Mary Jane and that that I lucked out in getting their their first kiss at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so that felt very very fortuitous for me. And you know what? And that's what he says at the end. He he gives her. I actually I have handwritten notes. I'm going to read it to you because because who when else am I going to? Uh, this is what. At the at the carnival at Coney Island, he's going to say he's his voiceover was going to be this is unbelievable. This hundred and ten pound five foot four woman is laughing twenty four hours after facing one of the most formidable enemies I've ever seen. I'm reading it like. meanwhile i okay hold on your hats i with the proportionate strength of a spider etc (laughs) etc and whining about getting sick maybe i should swipe a page from her book she's really something else and of course none of that made it in thank goodness (laughs) it's so fun though i get you but it's so fun to hear now yeah yeah it's funny that this all is still here and exists and uh um, and I, I was trying to get that proportionate strength of a spider in there because <laughs> I'd read it so many times. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're a kid and you're reading Stan Lee, you, you, you're looking up these words or, or trying to figure out what proportionate means, you know? Yeah. Um, the, and then it's ironically, when you start writing kids TV, you put a big word in it and the, and the note comes back. I don't think kids know what this word is. And, and you want to say, I, but they're never going to learn it if you don't put it in. They'll, yeah. they'll figure it out from the context. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's uh, a great point. And I love to hear that writers are thinking that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's always hard to, and, and I mean, I think that's what you like about, um, if, if you're a Warner brothers kid, as opposed to a Disney kid, you know, everything, everything Mickey mouse says y- you understand. And mm-hmm. er, you don't understand half of what bugs bunny says, you know, <laughs> when he says, I, I, I knew you should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. I didn't know what Albuquerque was till yeah. I was 18, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I knew to laugh. <laughs> you knew it was a laugh line. Right. 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 Or any, any references to old movies or opera or something like that that Looney Tunes oh, yeah. would make. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that great scene where in the in the, um uh, where 
the vaudeville one where where Elmer Fudd, that great vaudeville star, is passing all these bums on the in in, <laughs> in Central Park, and and it's Bing Crosby and Jack Benny and all these yeah. people that you and some of them you still don't know because you know you you don't sure. have a reference. And I I tried to sneak that scene into a Batman Brave and the Bold script I did oh. for for James Tucker and uh, Michael Jelinek uh, nice. uh, with called the Weeper. <laughs> and I wanted, I wanted the the Joker was going to come into the the villain bar, and he's passing the Penguin and the Riddler and all these, and he's just waving them off like like Elmer yeah. Fudd does, you know. With, uh, <laughs> no, oh this hack, you know. And then he gets up to the Weeper, and he's like, Weeper, what are you doing here you know, with yeah. these bums? You don't belong here. <laughs> that feels like the perfect show to work in something like that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. There's a lot of heartbreak in this industry. Of course, <laughs> you, right. you know you don't. Well, the, uh, there's oh my gosh, I'm sorry for. Uh, I can't believe. It, but by this point, they've stopped listening. So I'm just going to say anything. But, <laughs> um, I worked uh, with Ed Sharlak on on what's new Scooby Doo, and he had started his career in sitcoms in 1966 when I was born, and he had worked all the way up through uh, Scooby Doo and and beyond in the in the early 2000s, and um, of course, when I when I found out I would be working with him, I looked him up on IMDb, which had existed for about ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> when I looked him up, and I saw that he'd written the second episode of the uh, of the Odd Couple, and the other episodes of the Odd Couple that I'd um, that of course I'd been watching all my life, and so I got to say, oh, you did this at the episode where Felix's girlfriend is in the nude play, and I even remember the name of the play. It was the bathtub. And, Ed turns around and looks at me and goes, that's not what I had. I had another name for the play, and Gary changed it. <laughs> and, and he said, my, my, in my original, in the, in, the, in the Gary changed it to the bathtub, and they all come down and get in the bathtub, because it's like a hippie play where they're nude. And, uh, and he says, mine was the nude Swiss Family Robinson. <laughs> and the review was, it's filthy. <laughs> And I thought, well, it's kind of a lateral move. It's about the same joke, but yeah. uh, but what what I learned was that you always remember the jokes you write into your first drafts that get changed mm -hmm. because they have an emotional charge because you think, oh, I, that joke was so good, and then they change it to something else. Whereas you can put a hundred jokes in it, make it, and you never think of them again. Sure, because yeah. they they're just they're just jokes that you wrote. I'm I'm giving a look at this fantastic writing seminar I'm giving. <laughs> I love it. I love this it. This is great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you've mentioned, I mean, obviously you wrote on Spider-Man. That's what we're talking about. But you've also mentioned The Brave and the Bold and Scooby-Doo. What is it like to write for properties that have such like massive legacies and just generally huge canons? Because that feels like it would be intimidating, but maybe it's not. Well, I think it, the good news about it is that it, it gives it, I have a familiarity with all of this material. So uh, there's a weird element of feeling like you're coming home. You know, you're, you're, you're writing for Saturday morning, you know, of the Saturday morning that you grew up with. Or now, now it doesn't, it isn't even Saturday morning since uh, the beginning of cable, but there is a weird element of feeling like it's yours. It, it, I can't tell you how unusual when I, when I started on Scooby, uh, Casey Kasem was still shaggy and uh, Frank Welker is still Freddie. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, yeah. and so, I mean, this is literally, I'm, I, I was three years old when I started watching Scooby-Doo and here, you know, cut to me as an adult or as about as adult as I get anyway. And I'm, I'm writing for, for, for the guy who's been playing this character since I was three years old. It's the weirdest thing in the world, but also incredibly awesome. Yeah. That's so fun. The Scooby-Doo Supernatural crossover, by the way, that episode rules. <laughs> I love it. It was nuts. That was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. You know, they kind of touched on that. That's that's uh that. I'm sure that was a, a fun experience to work on. Now, I guess doubling back to Spider-Man a little bit. I know, obviously, you were a fan of Spider-Man cartoons before you worked on this show because we seen on your Viva Spider-Man short film, which I, I have seen and it's great. I love it. We're fans. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, that's me. I'm Peter Parker in it when I was uh-huh. young handsome. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's so spot on. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I, I have the, I have the John Romita senior haircut in it. And I was so, the one thing that I, that frustrated me, and of course it was outside anyone's purview, but uh, uh, was that when the Fox Spider-Man came on, they gave him that seventies hair. He has Nicholas Hammond's haircut uh-huh. from the from the live action Spider Man from the seventy seven or seventy eight, whatever that was. But but the like the heartthrobs on nine oh two one oh all had that John Romita haircut from the sixties. And I just it drove me crazy that they were <laughs> like making him look like that John Romita Peter Parker. I know. Anyway, that's just the side. I've got that off my chest for 20, 25 years. It's important. It's important to get those thoughts yeah. out into the world. I feel better now. I, I, I also I want to tell the story because yeah. um, because this is a good opportunity to. But uh, as I as I mentioned, I, John Semper was such an advocate for me, and really, I just credit him with completely starting my my career, uh, such as it is. But but one I've really enjoyed, and so I. I should tell you that I, I wasn't even out of the American Film Institute uh, when, when we met, and he had me start working on this idea, and it took a long time. And th- you should also know that at the time to get into the American Film Institute was sort of a big deal. So, so like all of us who were there had the biggest egos of any film student you can imagine. In fact, um, my, my friend Ernie Allpacker, who's also, who also worked on Spider-Man and, uh, and works with me still, uh, will refer to me of that era as insufferable film student, Jim. <laughs> and uh, just to give you an idea. <laughs> and, uh, and so I wrote this the first I – mean, we worked on uh, – John and I worked on the outline you know, for a long time. But then I finally had to go off and write the script. And, uh, and because we – like. I, uh, it, having gone to NYU and AFI, which are both kind of artsy film schools, mm-hmm. I had a lot of attitude and I had a lot of, um, <laughs> I would say an overabundance of self-confidence. And I felt like, well, I just, I've, I've given him gold. This thing is amazing. You know, I've, I've given him a, a, a Woody Allen script. I mean, yeah. you know, I, it, when that was still okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and he, he just, he doesn't appreciate it, you know, uh, and because, <laughs> because we met, I remember meeting, uh, in the park outside the um, New World building on Sepulveda, where where it used to be, and uh, where Spider-Man, the offices were uh, when when the when it started the first season, 
And he was let me down so gently. He was like, you know, Jim, it's too long. You know, it isn't really written in animation style. Uh, you know, you haven't really slugged out every every action line. And, you know, it was a nice try. But I think the thing to do, I think I'm just going to, why don't we just pay you half the the script fee and I'll, I'll hand it to one of my writers and they can finish it. Mm. And I was like such an egotist and just part in, in the front of my brain, I was thinking, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to take the money and, and you know, you, you don't, don't deserve a good <laughs> script this good. And then I had, and in literally, literally in, in the moment, which I think completely changed my life and career, I, I heard a terrible voice coming from deep inside me, and it may have been—it may not have been inside me. Maybe it was God, but it was. Like, so, <laughs> although this isn't something God would usually say, <laughs> get all of the money. <laughs> get all of the money. And I had this out-of-body experience where I heard myself say to John, "Give me twenty-four hours, yeah. and and let me let me take another crack at it." And and he he looked at me and was like, okay, all right, yeah, sure. And he and he so he gave me that opportunity. And then I had to get in my car. And I thought, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) I've already written what is clearly a perfect script. So despite the fact that it's eight pages too long, and you know, why wouldn't why wouldn't the network just give me ten more minutes in the in their Saturday morning schedule to finish this perfect story? And then I don't know what happened. But by the next day, I handed it, and I don't know if the script was that much better, or he was just he was happy that I was willing to 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 rewrite myself. But um, but I think that's what changed everything for me. It was sure. the, the the willingness to you know give the your the person who's hired you w- what they need. Yeah. And uh, and now I you know having having produced shows since then i've been in that same the other side of that position over and over again and so i really understand that he was taking a, a huge chance with me and i I'm, i'll always appreciate it yeah that's really awesome it's like one of those crossroads moments and it's cool that you kind of look back on it that way for sure yeah have you had an opportunity to work with john semper after after the animated series at all i have and He's written for me on uh, Justice League Action, and we have another project of which I am um, not at liberty to discuss that uh, that we have also worked together that I think is going to be amazing, and I can't wait for it to come out. That's exciting! Awesome, yeah, that's really cool to hear. Well, you talked about that first that first draft and that crossroads. Like rewatching this episode, just like you said, you know, an hour ago, uh, were there things that you were like, "Oh, that's from the original," or was it like a totally different like overhaul of the episode? You know, it was it was mostly I had overwritten it. There gotcha. was too much dialogue, and because uh, I was, uh, and, a, and a lot of you know, most writers are word people, and so we love the sound of our own voices coming out of several different characters' <laughs> mouths. And it was just too much, you know. Sure. Um, but rewatching it, I did. I didn't notice that so much. He, he he still talks a lot. There 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 are passages in the in the episode where. Spider-Man is talking so fast. Mm-hmm. He's getting so much information out of him when he's web slinging around uh, uh, Coney Island, trying to get you up to date with the the neogenic mutation and you know what what's going to become of him. And he, you know, uh, and it, all these words are coming 
out so fast for a moment it, it becomes a speed racer episode you know, <laughs> yeah. where, you know it's like you know, you yeah. know the Mach 5 is the fastest car in the world. It's so fast, it goes faster than other cars. <laughs> you know, well, luckily, like, you don't oh, have to okay. match his mouth to it with the mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, exactly. That's why that voiceover is so great. You can change anything he says later. Yeah. Um, but I do remember, I, it was, it's funny. Uh, so he saves Mary Jane, and then they have a little a little heart-to-heart, and, he, and she gives him the backstory on Maury Bench and how they dated in high school. And he asks... Uh, what about the, and she says, oh, the turning into water thing? That's new. <laughs> I don't remember him doing that at the prob. And I remember arguing with John. And I, I said, no, she says, she, he didn't do that at prom. And he says, the prom. And we, <laughs> and we got into whether you say the or not the over with prom. And I realized it's completely regional. Oh. Like, it, it, at some oh. places you say, will you, go, will you go to prom with me? And some places you go, will you go to the prom with me? And uh, interesting. I haven't yeah. encountered this, Jim. You're blowing my mind. I know. I, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just here blowing up minds. <laughs> wow. And, you know, to us, we're watching the episode. It's like, oh, that's a funny line. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's like actually a lot, a lot of uh, mind blowing information behind it. Yeah. <laughs> There's this. Uh, oh, oh, here's another piece of trivia. So uh, I was a transfer student to uh, NYU, and and they, I think they were obligated to house us, which in Manhattan is challenging. And they had a whole bunch of transfer students in 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 the fall of '85 when I moved there, when I transferred there, and they put a, a most or a bunch of us transfer students. They had leased out several floors of a residency a SRO uh, hotel like like it's basically for for I wouldn't say for homeless people for but for nearly homeless people uh, the Hotel Seville which had been a beautiful hotel at the in the early 1900s and by the time the 60s roll around it got worse and worse and um, until NYU students are living on several floors of it and uh, and I put it in the movie it's it, it, I put it in this episode and uh, I, I got pictures of it and gave it to the uh, uh, the, the background painter and it, it's actually in there. Um, oh, it's wow. where where Maury and um, and Mary Jane meet to yeah. uh, and he and he 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 steals he inexplicably steals a suit like a like <laughs> yeah. a uh, like a, 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 a Miami Vice suit. <laughs> you know. He, <laughs> It was just really strange. He like he pours himself through the sprinkler into a men's yep. department, yep. and then and then takes the suit and somehow turns it into water, and then goes down the drain and reappears in the hotel Seville lobby in the suit, which is then abandoned later. It's all very strange, <laughs> um, but uh, and because I, I it, that moving there had been such an important part of my life that I wanted to include that piece of New York in there. And only years later do I see that how creepy it is that he wants to meet her in a hotel. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, but but I my, my assumption was meeting he wants to meet her in the restaurant of the of the hotel lobby. Oh but, sure. So there, there's some more trivia for you. I hope then clearly that did not blow your minds. No, it's cool to hear those things. Like, yeah, uh, because you always wonder, like, are creators putting things like there are obvious Easter eggs for audiences that might be familiar with material, but there's the other side of that, which is an Easter egg for a creator that 
I imagine sort of keeps things interesting or keeps you inspired. So it's cool to hear that stuff. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely true. It's, it's for every, every Easter egg you recognize in these things, uh, there are all these personal life Easter eggs that people sneak in, uh, you know, names of, of friends and, and, uh, family members and things like that. In, in, uh, I wrote an episode of, uh, Monk where the, the murder, Lolita Davidovich uses, uh, uh, she's a, in a circus and she uses the elephant as the murder weapon <laughs> has the, the elephant step on the, somebody's head, you know, and crushes the head. And, uh, and the elephant, uh, Dee Dee, the elephant is named after my sister who is, is <laughs> she, you know, she's, she's about a hundred pounds. So it's a, you know, a miscasting of an elephant, but sure. <laughs> but so that, yeah, everybody, all these scripts are full of that stuff. So you only yeah. appreciate a tiny fraction of it when you watch. No, I love that kind of stuff. Cause we would never know to ask about it either. You know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It just fits right in. Are there other Spider-Man's ones though, that you can think of now that we're asking <laughs> oh I, I didn't i didn't study enough sure. no you're fine, fine. you're fine you know, I, but I, I, I like but they're all all my files are up there together and so it was nice to see i remember you know i had never i worked i got to meet i i got to meet mark hoffmeyer yeah. um who is still mm-hmm. a friend and you know such a talented writer and uh um uh, Meg McLaughlin and and then uh, my second script with is, was with Stan Berkowitz, you know, who has done so much at mm-hmm. at Warren Brothers and beyond, and and I worked with my friend Ernie, and it it, it was such a um, such a fantastic experience, and to get all that uh, all that mentoring from from John was was wonderful, and you know, and at the same time we had fun. It was fun to do this. It was a great gig. Oh, that's great. That's so great to hear. Because you always wonder that. I mean, I think it comes through, though, because it's just, uh, I think it is a fun, it's an iconic show, especially for like you kids who grew up in the 90s. And I think it comes through because it's just a well put together show, you know, even even with the stuff that maybe doesn't hold up as well now. It's fun. And it's a great Spider-Man show, you know. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's wonderful to revisit. And uh, it's hard it's hard to sometimes it's hard to watch because you see the animation mistakes yeah. or you, you see things that are a little wonky, but you have to put it all in perspective of, of when it was done. And, and so, some things they, they did better then than they can do now, to, you know, based mm-hmm. on, on budgets and, and what's mm-hmm. possible. Uh, certainly that, uh, that early CG, we were so proud of <laughs> uh, the fact that it was, Oh my gosh, a computer, a computer is making yeah. this. And, and now that kind of, those moments get a laugh because, you know, you could do that animation on your phone, you know, when you're waiting for the bus. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's That's great. cool though, to hear that that was like mind blowing at the time. And when you put it in context, it makes a lot of sense, right? If you just think of the things that would have been animated that way, there's not that much. So, uh, I'm glad to I hear that, that it was like that really was like exciting. First. I'm pr- I think that was some of the first computer animation on television. I may be mistaken. No, that makes sense. I mean, the yeah. only other stuff you can think of around that time would be like massive budget films or at least, you know, massive in comparison. Or like reboot or something that's like sure. CGI, yes. but yeah. Mark Hoffmeyer, I think, wrote the pilot for reboot. I think. Oh. oh. Interesting. Well, on the note of uh, kind of just comparing, uh, you know, what, what things were like back then to what they're like now, like, do you keep up with any like uh, other spider-man have you kept up with any other spider-man shows after this one like do you ever watch any of them well i i love greg's show i love uh yes um greg weissman uh you know is a friend from the 
business. And uh, I thought Spectacular Spider-Man was was literally spectacular. Yeah. Um, it's, we love it. it's such a well-crafted show, totally different from ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, you'll see those things online where, what's the best Spider-Man show? And you know what Greg said? <laughs> Here's the answer to the question, which is the best Spider-Man? And the answer is the one that you saw when you were 11. Yep. Yep. So yep. it doesn't matter. I mean, you can make the greatest Spider-Man thing ever, but it's never going to live up to the version you saw when you were a kid because it doesn't have those same emotional connections. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, moving to New York City, embarrassingly, I, I would, would still walk down um, the street and imagine the Gantry Lawrence Spider-Man swinging from those buildings because they're <laughs> that's because that's all he ever did. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it, it was a half hour you know, when they when the second season when they moved to half hour episodes about you know 40% of the show was him getting from place to place <laughs> in front of those watercolored skies and, and uh, over the acid jazz needle drops you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and that was enough for me. I thought that, it, like, it's a show more about a commute than it was about battling bad guys. Yeah. And uh, But those images really stuck in my head, which is why I ended up trying to ex- exercise them in um, in my student film. Yeah. yeah. And I do love those those scenes, by the way. They're so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They just go on and on. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know, for, at first you think, oh, my gosh, they're. Even as a kid, you think they're just out of animation. They're just showing these things over and over. <laughs> and then and then at some point you go, I hope they don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's what you fantasize about. Because it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's like you said, it's, like, it's, it's what you imagine and it's what you think about. And it's sort of what you, you uh, I don't know, I guess it sounds corny, but like what you wish you could do if you were a superhero, right? It's one of the reasons I think that the, the recent video games have been so fun for people is that you get yes. to do it. You know? Yes, I agree. I agree. I uh, my son had that game, and I played it, and I really didn't care about fighting the bad guys and getting <laughs> getting mm-hmm. by the big boss. I really just liked moving around the city. Yeah, <laughs> it's mind blowing. It's so soothing too. Yeah, like it's just a nice experience. <laughs> I, and the amount of time as a kid you spend thinking about it. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. You know, I love Superman. I love all the heroes who can fly, but. And and you always dream about flying, but there's something kind of boring and obvious about flying. You know, you point your hands in one direction and your feet in the other. You there off you go. <laughs> yeah. But but what the web swinging? I don't think we'd ever seen anything like that before. Even with heroes who like Batman with his, you know, grapnel, it's it's still he's going from one side of the street to the other or one building sure. to another. Whereas right. Spider Man is doing it continual trapeze act through <laughs> yeah. the city and i remember having conversations with my brother it was like but he's swinging toward this building why doesn't he just splat into the side and he said well before he splats into the side he shoots to another web to the other side of the street so, <laughs> and 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 i bought it yeah <laughs> you know yeah. despite the fact that in the old in the in the 67 spider-man he was often swinging high above the buildings <laughs> right. evidently just shooting onto clouds or something. Sure. Uh, but <laughs> Why not? still, I loved it. There's something yeah. like very active about it. There's something almost like amusement park about it. Like there's a roller coaster element to it that feels a bit more thrilling than just, you know, going from then, one place to the next. Yeah. Then just flying. It, it all, it feels very 
you have to be very connected and very present to mm-hmm. whether, you know, if you're just flying, you're just, you imagine going somewhere and you go there. But with the, yeah. with the web, web spinning, you're, you're saying, okay, now I'm going to hit that gutter and now I'm going to shoot at that flagpole. And it, it so he, you're very engaged yeah. What a ridiculous yeah. conversation. No, it's actually because fa- now I'm thinking like, is how much of that do you have to consider when you're writing these types of characters? Like, I know that's it's sort of a dorky question, but it's that's what kind of what I'm thinking about as you're talking about how active it is. You, uh, you know, the board people, the the animators really think about the geography sure. of where everything is and how. I mean, honestly, Bob Richardson would give us notes about. Well, this is where he's he's going from Queens to Central Park, so it would take this long. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, I, I would, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but but there are often people who have to think of things happening in a real space, whereas sure. often writers can just it's a flight of fancy. Yeah, you get to dream um, about it. Yeah. But and then it does make you think about other things. Even even in this episode, he was pouring his uh, the coagulant in in <laughs> his web cartridges, and that made me think: Well, what does he use to pressurize? Does he have some sort of? Did he get a? Did he get a pump? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how does he how does he compress the web fluid into the cartridges? And you know how long does it last? And yeah, all that stuff. I don't know. You remember those pages, those Steve Ditko pages, where all the ways Spider-Man can use his webbing, and it's you know he can he can make a sword out of it. Yeah, you know? and he's like, no, he can't. no, he can't. Oh, I love a web parachute. The web parachute I can almost buy, but the the swamp boat pushes my credulity. That might I don't know how far. I don't know how you adjust the nozzle. For you know, <laughs> internal combustion engine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he could do whatever a spider can, and would have been what spiders yeah, can do, do is more than that. Exactly. <laughs> I did like that scene in the in that first Andrew Garfield movie where he invents the webs and he gets it to work and and he loves it. You know, he's like touching the web, like, oh, I did it, I pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And I and it. I guess I come down on the side of the web shooter argument because I like the web shooters and they're clever. And it's something that in theory in make believe science, you could do yourself or you could have yourself. Whereas if it was just, if it just comes out of his body, then it's kind of gross. And (laughs) and it was actually a spider. He would have to grow this extra organ, you know, probably from somewhere you don't want to be looking at that shoots webs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, maybe we just, just don't think about that part too much. (laughs) Yeah. I like the tinkering. I like thinking about the tinkering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it means he's smart. And when you're a kid, you think you're smart. I'm smart like Peter Parker, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you think you'll be able to do that too? Yeah. You. So you meant. I mean, you mentioned you played Peter Parker for your film. Yes, uh, I think rather you, convincingly. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> there are no other Peter Parkers, you know. Um, <laughs> but then you got to write for Peter Parker. Like, what? There are so many different versions of Peter Parker. Like, what? What is essential to you for a Peter Parker? Well, it's it's interesting. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Uh, between Spider-Man 67 and our Spider-Man, there was there was a Spider-Man cartoon that I barely remember. And then the big one was Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and as a uh, there, I know that if you were 12 when that came out, 
he is your Spider-Man. But for me, uh, as soon as the title came up, I said, Spider-Man doesn't have any friends. I mean, that's, <laughs> the whole point is that he's a sad sack who feels sorry for himself, just like I do. Sure. <laughs> you know? And there's, and that's what I, I stole from one of the episodes, um, you know, and for my, for my movie, which you can find on YouTube, <laughs> the, the, the narrator says, you know, he's a, he's a born loser. You know, yeah. he, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't get the date with the girl and he doesn't, and, and his friends are always mad at him as, and as, he's, they're always running out of money. And you thought, well, this is amazing because he's barely keeping it together just like I am. And so for me, it felt like a huge betrayal when, when Peter was, you know, living in his, the apartment over his aunt's garage. And if he, if he, if he pulled a football statue, it would turn the bed into a, a GPS, you know? Yeah. I was like, what is going on here? Why, why does he have so many friends? And he's so good looking, you know, you wanted him to be a kind of a loser. Like we all felt like we were, but I, and in retrospect, I suppose when it went from Steve Ditko to John Romita, he already went from horrific, mutant to <laughs> to great looking romance guy you know and, and all the girls in it it's like yeah it's like what's your is he gonna date mary jane or gwen it's like who cares it's like it's, it's it's insane what suddenly happened to him but yes i i did feel like it, it it was peter's the most satisfying when things are not going his way because sure. that's that's what makes it relatable do you feel like uh, that came through in the 90s show? Like, were you able to explore your sort of version of Peter well enough? Um, I think that, yeah, I, I think that he's, uh, you know, John really loaded up the agita on, on, <laughs> on Peter. You know, I mean, it always seemed like they're running out of money or somebody's sick or, you know, there's there's plenty to worry about. And though and those moments are just punctuated with, you know, uh, Peter marries mary jane who turns out to be a water-based clone um and and moments I just like that. Watched that yeah i did just watch that look they're not all keepers but um <laughs> but i think john had the same sense of the character because he read the comics from the same time from mm -hmm. because i was reading those reprints from the stanley romita era which i think are so you know, mind blowing. Uh, I didn't, right. when I, when I first got those reprints of the earliest ones, it looked weird to me. It those, those Ditko art is so uh, kind of, uh, it, it's weird. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but the Romita, everybody looks great and it looks so clean. It looks like a cartoon. It looks like a animated cartoon. Yeah. But yes, tons of heartbreak. And I think, I think John did get tons of heartbreak in there. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes him relatable. That's why he, yeah. that's why we're, we're Spidey fans instead of, you know, yeah. the, you know, Bruce Wayne is kind of a construct, you know, he's Batman is kind of pretending to be Bruce Wayne in order to, you know, continue his life. And sure. Clark Kent, certainly Clark is probably nerdy enough to be, you know, who he is as a, as a farm boy. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's, it's part of it is a put on too, but Peter Parker isn't at all. There's, there's none of Peter pretending to be a moron so that they don't suspect him. He's really trying his best. He's just failing <laughs> utterly, you know, at everything he does. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I think it was so weird, you know, as the, as the comic gets on the, the, 
Yeah, and and he he's married to a supermodel. Suddenly, all that goes away. You can't. It's hard to relate to. Oh, this poor sad. You know, this poor sad sack. He's he's married to um, Cindy Crawford. You know, <laughs> <laughs> sure. You sure. could probably just live off her money. I, you know. <laughs> I have never thought about that, but that is a very good good point. Yeah. <laughs> Illuminates a few a few Peter Parker common issues right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it changed. It's like, is your wife mad at you? Kind of a thing. But that's that's yeah. a totally different. It's a lot less relatable to a to a you know fourteen year old. Is, sure. is my supermodel wife mad at me? You know, it's harder to wrap sure. your head around. Yeah, it's probably why they keep trying to to separate them in the comics and stuff. So I guess that <laughs> explains that. It makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. It's it. The misery is part of the formula. It's important. You know, I think that was a, a great part of the Into the Spider Verse movie is mm. that that, uh, that Miles Morales has so many problems, and then when he meets, you know, the original Spider Man, he's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> he's a mess. He, and I believed every second of it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Into the Spider Verse, since you brought it up. It's so good, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It really is. It Um, really is good. I guess, like, what has it been like to see? I mean, there's always been multiple spider people, but it feels like some of these newer ones are hitting in a different way than maybe previous ones have. Do you feel like you have insight as to, like, why that is? Or is it just, like, a thing that sort of ebbs and flows? I think it is a thing that ebbs and flows. And I think that as, uh, as, as a person of a certain age, you like, you like the thing you liked when you were 12 and you want to see yeah. it that way. And so at first blush, you put, they pull out Miles Morales and you're like, oh, that's BS. You know, where's my <laughs> Spider-Man? And sure. then, then you watch it and actually learn me the character. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, yeah. I was wrong. You know, and I think all of the different, those spider characters reach a different audience it's funny we we even in the by the time we were doing the the season finale and we put in and they in the comics they were doing the um the ben riley stuff and the scarlet mm-hmm. spider we were sort of uh against it it seemed like well this is silly you know but uh, <laughs> he's not spider-man but then when you look back at it well the, if you were 12 when the scarlet spider hit that's your spider-man yeah you know, he will that's always going to be your sweet spot and and when when they get rid of Ben Riley, you're going to why they do that? Why they get rid of mine? And but I think everyone is always trying to reboot whatever franchise you're working on to what you loved when you were a kid. And mm-hmm. the the terrible byproduct of that is that you're probably getting rid of any characters of color or female. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> because yeah. you know you're going back to a, a a time you know when all these most of these superheroes were created it was a very white male world mm-hmm. so it it you it becomes very dangerous to try and reset it back to what it was when you were a kid because yeah. it becomes very uh, you know reactionary so yeah. it's it's difficult to as difficult as it is to keep an open mind it's important. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think something you touched on about the misery is probably present in all of those characters to some degree as well. I, that probably is a big part of it. Uh, I hope so. I hope that misery still rings true. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can still relate to misery. <laughs> I don't think you can be a spider person without having some kind of tragic trauma or death in your backstory <laughs> that you're sad about, you know. <laughs> I agree. I, I totally agree. 
<laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, you wrote on a bunch of Spider-Man animated series episodes. Like, you wrote on the Carnage episode. Um, I know you wrote an episode with The Spot. You wrote other, like, significant, significant Mary Jane episodes. I know, you know, we... You only rewatched Hydra Man for this. Do you have any any memories just off the top of your head or anything interesting about those episodes that kind of stand out that you remember? I think that what was I was on staff and Mark and Meg and Stan and Ernie and we all our names ended up on on a few episodes, but we were all sort of in each other's business. Gotcha. And sure. and John, all the ideas basically came, all the major ideas came from John, and he would he would kind of farm them out to us, and he mm. would have us do a draft of an outline, and then we might hand it off to somebody else and do it. So we all had a hand at each other's episodes. So so even if if even though it says the spot on it, I'm right. sure uh, Mark probably wrote the outline, or uh, so. We, it was a really terrific learning experience to have the opportunity to take something that was there was already a draft of and and move it closer to what John wanted it to be. Uh, that was all fantastic training for a, a career in writing for for television, which which like Peter Parker is an exercise in misery. But uh, <laughs> but at the, at the same time, it also involves flying through the air and yeah. doing things that other people wish they could do because it's a and it's a lot of fun it's so it's misery and fun just like spider-man yeah <laughs> uh, but i don't have any like nothing like jumps out at me i sure, love doing sure. uh um turning point when taking yeah. all those um i did i do remember i did write the outline for for turning point and it involved reading all of the green goblin stories and Ooh. cherry picking the best moments from those which i'm mm-hmm. i'm sure you see are torn right from the comics of the, yeah. the the dinner party with with osborne you know which is a totally different episode period than the confrontation on the top of the bridge and gwen stacy dying um, but we took them all and were able to compress them into one episode which was i think ended up you know and then also you know still dovetailed with uh, time dilation and the spot and all the other things to to what we couldn't kill we couldn't throw mary jane off a bridge and snap her neck but but we could throw her into uh, a space-time limbo where evidently she is still falling through um, pink clouds of smoke but hopefully madam webb and peter parker dug her dug her out of there yeah 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 hope so yeah that's definitely a fan favorite episode i would say i think that's one that a lot of people put towards if not on top of their their favorite episodes lists i think for all those reasons because it's like the best of green goblin in one episode essentially and there's you well the panel i remember is the is peter's still in his civilian outfit and he tries to shoot his web at, at the green goblin and he doesn't have his web shooters out. Cause he's, yeah. he, he's, he's thinking like Spider-Man, but he's still dressed as Peter. Yeah. Uh, those are fun moments. Mm-hmm. And Oh, and it's that cover too. It's that famous Romita cover of, of him tied up and being dragged yep. off um, behind the goblin glider. Yeah, those are, great. those are fun to be able. In fact, I, I don't know if you know this, but all of the Spider-Man scripts, there's a cover page uh, with all the names on it, but then there's a kind of a cover cover page that has the title of the episode and uh, and an image from a comic book. So, oh, uh, cool. yes. So mine is that original Hydra Man cover, which which I actually 
was delivered. I, no, I think it was the um, the McFarland cover. But there was another mm. Spider-Man. There was another the Hydra Man. The first Hydra Man appearance. I I came out when I had a subscription to the Spider-Man comic book, and I got in the mail. I remember. <laughs> Um, oh, so, so it's cool. funny to have worked with that character years later. And and they made a toy, which was astonishing. And and here's that reminds me of one other piece of trivia I have for you, which is that I see here on my cover the original title. I titled it I Cried a River Over You, uh, <laughs> which it. is a line from uh, Cry Me a River, which is a famous jazz standard. And right. uh, I do remember... Uh, John just saying, oh, that's a great title. It's a clever title. I just hate clever titles. It's going to be called <laughs> Spider-Man. It's going to be called Hyper-Man. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to do, you know, those, uh, like a, a Star Trek title, which is, you know, right. usually a, uh, some kind of Shakespearean yeah. quote. Well, this this is this is from uh, from Coriolanus, Act 2. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. oh I'm God. so clever. I'm very, very clever. And... Uh, and ultimately, it doesn't matter because nobody remembers the titles of these things anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do remember that. Yeah, it's a great that. title, though. I love, I love like cute <laughs> titles. I do too. I mean, it's, it's hard not to. It's hard not to do. Yeah. <laughs> Are there other stories from comics that you really wanted to bring to life, or things that you like Spider-Man stories you wish that you had been able to to write into a show? Oh my gosh. Um... You know, uh, I guess I would have wanted to do the Jackal because that was a big story mm. when I was a kid was um, <laughs> that's when I started writing was, you know, the, he he hires the Punisher and he gets he gets uh, the guy dressed as a grizzly bear, all the a hammerhead, all these people to go after Spidey. And, uh, and, and the, the, every week it was like, who is the Jackal? Who is he? Yeah. Who is he? And, and I spent a considerable amount of time as a kid thinking about who the Jackal was. And finally they said, the Jackal is Professor Warren. I went, Professor Warren? Not Professor Warren. It can't be <laughs> Professor Warren. Wait, who's Professor Warren? You know, and, then, and then you had to go back like three years. And say, oh, that guy who was giving Peter a hard time about not handing in his homework. That's the guy who's <laughs> obsessed with with growing, regrowing Gwen Stacy. And, and yeah. by mistake, he also regrows a Peter Parker because there is something wrong with this guy instead yeah. of just like using cloning to, you know, help humanity <laughs> instead yeah. he wants to uh regrow one of his dead students which is <laughs> awful <laughs> yep. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> well um any any other just spare thoughts or anything before we just kind of pivot to to plugs <laughs> No, I'm out. I'm. I'm. <laughs> I won't think of it till later. Yeah. Sure. You know, oh, I have. It? I know. You know what? Because I'm also. I just realized a couple of years ago we went to uh, Universal Studios in Florida, and there's that that Spider-Man ride, mm-hmm. and it was. It it could not have been more of a surreal experience because they used all of the character models from our series oh. from John's series and yeah. we and to get on that ride and see all of those faces it was the strangest thing uh, <laughs> but if you were ever in Florida I recommend the ride it's still pretty good oh it's fun I love it Doug hasn't been on it I've I have many times <laughs> it's, you know what it's like riding the cartoon do it I would love to yeah no that would be that would be great does it get old like I I don't know I, I imagine it wouldn't but does it 
does it ever wear off seeing things like that, like uh, that were sort of spun off of or inspired by stuff that you were creating? Like you mentioned the toys, like does the novelty wear off? I, I guess it, it's like everything else. It kind of ebbs and flows. It's, sure. Uh, uh, if if there's if there's a bad side to it, it's going into, um, you know, I don't want to say junk shops, but like memorabilia stores, mm. and and seeing um, and seeing the action figures that uh, came out that on a show that you were writing for, which are now antiques. And if, yeah. if the toys are antiques, what does that make me? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> very, uh, very toy story approach to that, <laughs> that question. It's a very existential question. too. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's Peter Parker. That's Peter Parker. It's yeah. like, Oh my gosh, what a bummer. <laughs> well, you mentioned a project you can't talk about, but are there any projects that you can talk about that you're really excited or want people to sort of know about? or check out well if you go on my imdb page uh it's usually pretty updated with stuff i do i've stayed sure. pretty busy in the animation industry and um i'm working at uh at uh what, what did stan call them the, uh, the distinguished competition and uh <laughs> have been for, for a while and uh i'm producing or uh, i'm one of the producers on a, a series of um uh, dc superhero movies that's uh that, that we're currently in production on and um, I'm, I'm proud of these two for completely different reasons and uh, i hope you check them out yeah absolutely the the dc animated movies are are something very cool and sort of unique i think i yeah. I, I really enjoy them thank you i i enjoy working on them i feel very i mean my whole career i feel very blessed it's it's been it's an astonishing thing to you know when you start doing it you want to be rich and famous but ultimately what you realize is your goal needs to be you write what needs to be written in order for you to put you in a position so that you can keep doing it and you get, yeah. you get to do it again. And that's, that's the victory is that you don't end up having to get an actual real job. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Great. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for, for being on with us. Uh, it was really great. All right. Well, um, well, good luck. And, uh, uh, you know, if we, if you're at Comic-Con, whenever they start doing Comic-Con again, uh, <laughs> yeah. if you come by, say hello. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Do. Yeah. Well, you thanks, a, guys. Yeah, you yeah. have a great rest of your day and night. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, if you'd like to see more from us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers, where we've got lots of great bonus content, uh, lots of like mini episodes where we cover other stuff, like other comics related to Spider-Man, um, other, other TV shows, uh, other, just lots of special stuff and some things that aren't related to Spider-Man. Um, we've got plenty of commentaries that are just on shows that maybe are tangentially related to what we've covered, but sometimes it's just things that we wanted to watch and get drunk and talk about. So check us out there for lots of fun goodies. Otherwise, if you'd like to find us individually on the internet, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also find me on another podcast here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And you can find me on another podcast called Novel Gaming with my friends Katie and Vicky. It's a podcast about books and video games with a splash of other pop culture. What about you, Derek? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. If you'd like to hear more from both Doug and I, we have a monthly podcast that we also do called Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon. 
And with that, we're watching every Pixar film chronologically. So our episodes come out on the 13th of every month, and the episode this month is on Cars. Oh, boy. Which is, which is a movie that I, I had that will have not ever seen until doing that episode. <laughs> uh, so we haven't recorded that yet as of this recording. So I have no idea what that's going to end up being like. I'm excited to see uh, how that ends up, uh, how that ends yeah. up. So that's, that's, that's the March episode and you can get that available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. We have all of our, 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 our episodes of Walloping Web Snappers and Falling with Style archived there. And you can follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod. Or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. And if you could, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on any of the major podcast platforms um, like you know Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. But I think especially Apple Podcasts because that's just where the monopoly is and that's how people find podcasts most of the time so please give us a rating there next week miles gets a lesson in superheroing and reality tv in craven's amazing hunt see you there see ya I think you should put in the sound, the spider sense sound it makes in an animated series. Yes. I, I, half of your audience will immediately know what that is. And oh, they'll yeah. see everything turn blue and purple behind me. You know? I love it. I love it.